Hey everybody, welcome to The Found Cause, where we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my virtual front, my co-host is... Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. And we have a special guest uh, today. It's uh, none other than, you want to introduce yourself, David? Hi, uh, my name is David Alexander, and I'm, um, I spent my whole life, really my whole adult life, 47 years as an evangelical Christian, and, uh, Three months ago, I actually became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which uh, is pretty wild. So uh, in any case, I now um, believe what the Latter-day Saints believe, even though I'm still in the process of learning what they believe. Uh, and um, oddly enough, I, I started a channel about this, and a lot of people uh, uh, seem to have been encouraged by it. Uh, but yeah, what's can... really in my heart is is that we could have um, that I could have a conversation with uh, more normal evangelical Christians <laughs> about what they believe and what I believe, and uh, uh, maybe we could all learn something. So I guess you could say this is an interfaith discussion. Uh, yes, and, sure. uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and I'm sure viewers of uh, The Found Cause, at least, uh, a few of us know that uh, in any interfaith discussion, we want to make sure we touch on key issues. So we're going to be talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ today. So how and what the atonement is. So that's going to be the focus. All the other questions that um, we've seen our channel talk about Mormonism and probably yours, David, as well. Um, there, there are many things we'll leave on the table because we can't just get to everything in an hour. Um, but oh, we're going to talk mostly on atonement. And, yeah, we need to keep it. We need to keep it as focused as we can yeah. on the atonement, because yeah. believe me, there is a lot of things that we could digress into that would uh, take up the the whole time. Right. So for ease of organization, David's agreed um, prior to the call that we'll just go back and forth, question answer, question answer. Um, so sure. I want to lob it to you, David, out of good faith. Do you have a question for us on the atonement? Or do we first want to start with like a definition of the atonement? I think or, I. I mean, basically, I think I think maybe what would be good. I would just like to hear what each of you believe about the atonement, and then I just like to express what I believe about it, That's and it. then we could then we could discuss okay. um, areas where we may differ based on what we say. Sounds great. All right, well, we'll put it back to you then. But Theodore, you want to take uh, that question? What What is the atonement? How do you see it? <laughs> Uh, I guess there's like the pithy phrase, like at at one mint, um, like bringing us back in uh, back to God. I guess bringing us into a right relationship with God, um, and then the atonement, I suppose, has um, also to do with it the forgiveness of sins, repentance, obedience, and faith. Um, but the atonement is basically Jesus dying on the cross, paying our price for sins with, and we're given his imputed righteousness upon faith. And therefore on judgment day, God basically sees Jesus's righteousness instead of our attempts at righteousness or something like that. Yeah. And I'll just piggyback off that and give the like official scholarly phrase. Uh, we Thanks. both believe, <laughs> I believe that, that the atonement, so Jesus Christ's payment for sin is penal. 
meaning um, it's it's taking on a penalty from from God. So God punishes sin because he's a just God. It's part of his character. And so he has waited patiently and he hasn't punished everyone in their due time. Um, but come their death, there will be a day where God ultimately judges and punishes sin. And so the atonement of Christ, he takes on that punishment in, in the place of his people. So that's penal and it's substitutionary, meaning like, like Theodore said, he is subbing out his righteousness for ours and our unrighteousness for his. So he, he becomes a curse on the cross, as scripture says, it's hung on a tree, and takes on all of the payment that we would like, or we would rightfully take from God. And instead, um, he receives all of our due damnation, meaning he was um, killed, he was bodily killed, and went into the Sheol, to the grave. Uh, but of course, he's God and rose again and again because he is the Lord, he's not a man, um, just a man. And then equally, um, we, instead of having all of our unrighteousness, all our sins against God, um, judged on judgment day, we will instead be judged on Christ's righteousness, his obedience to the law. And therefore, the results of the atonement are manifold, right? There, there are many, but one of them is that we get to live in the freedom from the law and free to obey God out of joy and not out of obligation or condemnation. So that's the basics of our view of the atonement. And then back wow. to you, David. How, how would you take the atonement? How would you describe it? Um. Well, in its simplest form, it's just uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. You know, uh, Paul says, you know, what I received, I, I passed on to you. I'm paraphrasing here a bit. Mm -hmm. um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Um, you, you know, the 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 latter-day saint view of the atonement differs <laughs> it differs greatly from what you just described mm -hmm. in in the sense of it seems like particularly for reformed type evangelicals uh, there's a lot of focus on imputed righteousness uh, I haven't really been a Latter-day Saint long enough to know. It doesn't seem to me like we believe in imputed righteousness other than that, that of course, we're forgiven on the basis of Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf. But, uh, I mean, I, I, think, I think this idea of imputed righteousness was flooding into the church towards the end of the first century, and that's, that's why... Uh, John wrote what he wrote in First John chapter 3, I think around verse 7. He says, look, little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He who does what is righteous is righteous. He who keeps on sinning is of the devil. <laughs> you know. So I, I don't know how you reconcile a statement like that with this idea of imputed righteousness. Or, or a little bit earlier at the end of First uh, John chapter 2 and the beginning of First John chapter 3, he says, you know, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Yet that is what we are. He says, uh, and then he says uh, something. I'm trying to remember exactly how he puts it. He says, uh, he says, when we, when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Which you could say, oh, wow. He's, he's, you know, this idea that when, when God sees us, he's just going to see the blood of Christ and see us as perfect and holy, even though we were still watching porn six hours a day or something, right. you know? It, and, and, but what it says, this is any, anyone who has this hope, what 
purifies himself just as he is pure. And it's just a few verses later that, that John says so emphatically, little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He who does what is righteous is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who keeps on sinning is of the devil. So I, I think I think that would kind of be the the view of Latter-day Saints, although and and I hope you'll permit me to do this because one of the main reasons I'm a Latter-day Saint is because I came to believe, as I said in our earlier discussion before we started recording, that the true church had to have apostolic and prophetic leadership. And um, I didn't, I, I believe that the reason why I became a Latter-day Saint fundamentally was because I started listening to their leaders and came to believe that their leaders actually did carry that apostolic and prophetic leadership and that the what they believe that they are the restoration of the church back in 1830 when they were organized of a church that had apostatized toward the end of the in the second century and i came to believe that that's true so i just say all that to say that um the the latter-day saints have been receiving what i would say and of course you know a lot most christians would say you know this is just you know untrue they'd probably go further than that if i if there weren't latter-day saints around or maybe they, they'd say well this is just demonic deception but uh personally i i think that they did that joseph smith really was a prophet and that he and the successors of the apostolic and prophetic authority that's been passed on for the last 190 years have received uh, understanding and revelation about the vast reach of the atonement that's uh, really beyond what I have the ability to express. But I think it needs to be expressed so that you can um, respond to it. Yeah. Well, let's... And, uh... and, Let's let's take so one. Let, I'll just take one at a time let, then. So let me just read. Let me just read. This is uh, one of my favorite teachers of theirs. He's he's one of the quorum of twelve apostles of the Latter Day Saints, and this is this is what he says. Who who is it? I mean, he, Jeffrey Holland, okay. Elder Jeffrey Holland, and and uh, you know any of these any of these people, like you could just you can go to YouTube and you can Google. Latter-day Saint conference talks, and there's hundreds of them up there. And uh, but this this is about this is about 10, 12 minutes. But th this is uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ. The atonement of Jesus Christ is the foreordained but voluntary act of the only begotten Son of God. He offered his life, including his innocent body, blood, and spiritual anguish, as a redeeming ransom. First for the effect of the fall of Adam upon all mankind, and second, for the personal sins of all who repent, from Adam to the end of the world. Latter-day Saints believe this is the central fact, the crucial foundation, the chief doctrine, and the greatest expression of divine love in the plan of salvation. The prophet Joseph Smith declared, quote, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, 
that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. The literal meaning of the word atonement is self-evident. At one minute, the act of unifying or bringing together what has been separated and estranged. The atonement of Jesus Christ was indispensable because of the separating transgression or fall of Adam. Jesus Christ was indispensable, oh, pardon me, which brought death into the world when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Latter-day Saints readily acknowledge both the physical and spiritual death that Adam and Eve brought upon themselves and all of their posterity. Physical death bringing the temporary separation of the spirit from the body and spiritual death bringing the estrangement of both the spirit and the body from God. But they also believe that the fall was part of a divine foreordained plan without which mortal children would not have been born to Adam and Eve had not these first parents chosen to leave the Garden of Eden via their transgression there would have been on this earth no human family to experience opposition and growth moral agency and choice and the joy of resurrection redemption and eternal life the need for a future atonement was explained in a pre-mortal council in heaven at which the spirits of the entire human family were in attendance and over which God the Father presided. The two principal associates of God in that council were the pre-mortal Jesus, also known as Jehovah, and the pre-mortal Adam, also known as Michael. It was in this pre-mortal setting that Christ voluntarily entered into a covenant with the Father, agreeing to enhance the moral agency of humankind even as he atoned for their sins. And he returned to the Father all honor and glory for such selflessness. This preordained role of Christ as mediator explains why the book of Revelation describes Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And why Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings, including Moses, Job, the psalmist, Zechariah, Isaiah, and Micah could speak of Messiah and his divine role many centuries before his physical birth. A book of Mormon prophet wrote, I say unto you that none of the prophets have written nor prophesied, say they have spoken concerning this Christ. To the brother of Jared, who lived some 2,000 years before the Redeemer's birth, the pre-mortal Christ declared, Behold, I am he who is prepared from the foundation of the world to redeem my people. Such scriptural foreshadowings are reflected in the conversation Christ had with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. For Latter-day Saints, it's crucially important to see the agreed-upon and understood fall of man only in the context of the equally agreed-upon and understood redemption of man, redemption provided through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Thus, one of the most important and oft-quoted lines of Latter-day Saint scripture says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. Can I actually ask a question about that? Sure. So the man fell that uh, men might be or something like that. Um, right. And recently I read Second uh, Nephi. Uh, 2, 22 to 26, and it's, and now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen. 
but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden. And all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they, after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end. And they would have had no children, wherefore they would uh, have remained in the state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, sure. I guess one question regarding Jesus or God do you think God also fell such that he would have joy or uh, however you interpret I, that? I, I wouldn't really know how to answer that, but I do okay. think to, to me, I, I find it quite persuasive. I mean, the, the devil has a history of doing things that he thinks are thwarting the purposes of God. And they actually end up being the plan of God. The perfect example, of course, being the resurrect, the the crucifixion of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, another example would be um, Joseph. You know, uh, yeah. and Joseph says to his brothers, he says, "Hey, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." And uh, the fall of man. I think Latter Day Saints see the fall of man in the same context. It's like like the devil thought he was thwarting the plan of God. But, but really, apart from knowing good and evil, there's no possibility. If we don't actually have the, the understanding and the freedom to choose good over evil or love over selfishness, where, where is virtue? You know, that, that's the definition of virtue, well. is, is you actually know good and evil and you have moral agency. You have the ability to choose to not do the good and to do the to do the right yeah and if, if we uh, can take it i mean there are so many different things that were mentioned so i want to keep it focused on atonement i mean any of our visitors um know that we've talked extensively on history of the church and uh so-called mormon apostology and the authority of their church which we have even talked with other mormons on the podcast directly um and, and wonderful good discussed well let me let me keep reading this then well if, if i may just because it's been yep. like 10 minutes I'll, I'll give our response to a couple of items good w one Go was ahead. and then you can pick right back up one was sure. you said um quoting first john which i would encourage anybody mormon and, and christian alike to read first uh, john talks about those who walk in darkness and say they walk in light are liars and they make god a liar and we would absolutely affirm that that the imputation of Christ's righteousness is purely at the judgment seat. So when the Lord, when we die and we're faced with judgment and God is deciding, righteous or unrighteous, that he judges you righteous based on Christ's works, not your own. Um, that is not to say that we are guaranteed um, heaven because of some ticket that got punched and therefore we can do whatever we want on the earth. Um, like First John says, if we walk in darkness, but say we walk in light, we're liars. We're, we're not actually under Christ's blood. So it's not that we were under Christ's blood and then got out of it. It's that we never were Christ. So if our heart is not changed and we aren't doing righteous works here on earth, um, we really have no stance to think that we are Christians. And so we should be in fear that on that judgment day, when we come to Christ, when we come to God in judgment, that he will not say you're under Christ. He'll say, you're getting judged on your own works because you never were in Christ. And then you... Um, I you think the Latter-day Saints would say this would say the same thing perhaps some um so that would that would be our view is that that good works are trees still, are judged by their fruit um well we would say a tree is judged by its fruit but the judgment of the tree is not um, indicated by its fruit it's it's a good tree produces good fruit 
So right. it's, it's not exactly. that um, a tree becomes good because it produces good fruit. It's that it is a good tree and therefore produces good fruit. And so we're mm-hmm. all about the, the nature of somebody being changed, not just the right. outward appearance. Yeah, exactly. That that's That's the foundation of the purpose of the atonement is that people's nature can be changed, which which essentially is accomplished through receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, I, and I, I agree that it's through the Holy Spirit that we are that our natures are changed. But I think this is actually where um, I have a problem, and, and Theodore has a problem. The Protestant Church has a problem with um, the so-called authority of the, the LDS Church because they refute. The Protestant, the Christian understanding of atonement that's been an understanding for the past 2,000 years, they refute and say those who believe in penal substitutionary atonement are damned. They're wrong. They're in the wrong church. Um, I don't know your opinion. That's why we're asking you, David. But... Can you can you explain explain again penal substitutionary atonement? Yes. Penal um, meaning there was a punishment, a just punishment for sin, and those not under Christ are under the punishment of death, as Scripture says. Um, the penalty for sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Would you agree with that? Right. So that's what we say. Yeah, the wages of sin is death for sure. Yep. And then substitutionary, meaning that Christ um, took all of our sins on Him. So He is He has substituted Himself in our place. So it's not that He pays just for our original sin, just for the fall of Adam. And not just for our some of our personal sins, but for all of our sin. So and and he changes our nature. So we are we are substituted by Christ entirely. It's not um, we're not brought into the kingdom with conditions. It's a pure substitution. Would you agree with that? Don't know. Good question. Okay. You, you probably hear me say I don't know a good bit. All right. Fair enough. How helpful that is. I I know that. Um, A lot of this stuff, it it would be nice if it was um, it, like like what I'm just curious. What do you do? There, there's, I mean, I could we could look them up, mm-hmm. but I think there's roughly five different places in the New Testament where it talks about how we're going to be judged according to our works. Yeah. What what do you do with those things? Um, well, I thoroughly believe them. So Jesus Christ himself oh, in the gospel says this, right? He says in some of the explanations of heaven, he says the good fish, will be the, in the end of these will be like this. The fishermen will go out and pull the fish in the sea um, and they'll take the good fish and put them into baskets, but the bad fish they'll throw out. And he says, um, in the same way in the end of days, God will send out his angels to the four corners of the earth and he'll gather up all, um, both the righteous and the unrighteous. And the righteous he'll place in heaven and the unrighteous he'll throw into the eternal fire. And so yeah. that is the the view of, of being judged by your works, is that if you are not judged righteous, um, you will be burned. And if you are judged righteous by your works, you will be brought to heaven. But the question then, the, the, the gospel question there, David, is um, whose, whose works are being judged? Do you think you could be judged righteous by your works? Um, the only... The only... We're completely forgiven. I mean, the the only hope of of forgiveness and cleansing is the the death of Christ mm-hmm. on our behalf. It's it's like the mercy and grace of the atonement is the only hope of uh, forgiveness and eternal life for any for anybody. I totally agree with you, David. But but the the other the other side of the question is. Is that and this, this is I think this is one thing where it can be confusing trying to talk about these things between Latter Day Saints and 
evangelicals. Because, as I said, I haven't been a Latter-day Saint very long. Mm -hmm. But to us, our understanding of salvation is a progressive thing in the sense that we we, uh, conflate uh, salvation to us is where whereas an evangelical Christian, okay, you're saved and now there's a process of sanctification Mm -hmm. that has to take place. To the Latter-day Saints, it seems to me that um, we see the whole thing as a process. Yes, and I would agree with your I, assessment I'll, there. A process that is all one thing, and and that there's a fullness of salvation that is there to be attained to by uh, zealous cooperation by grace through faith with the fullness of what Christ has made available through his atonement. And very few people, people vary tremendously in how much they give themselves to grab a hold of fully what they have been grabbed a hold of for. Like you can see this for it. And just to throw a couple of scriptures out there to give you an example of this. Uh, I think it's in, let's see, where is it? I think it's in Hebrews chapter 3. The writer to the Hebrews, who I would say is Paul, but of course Mm -hmm. people debate that. He says that, uh, he says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, if if words actually mean what they say, that also means if we don't hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, in some sense at least, we do not become partakers of Christ, which of course is, is why when it comes to actually accessing the atonement, the Latter-day Saints see as part of the plan of salvation that you have to endure to the end, just as Christ said in, what is it, Matthew 24, 13, he who endures to the end shall be saved, okay? And and so so you can see, for example, um, you can see a picture of this possible great variation in how fully people... Uh, essentially give themselves to become all that they could be through through the grace and faith that's available through the atonement of Christ. A really good place to see that is in uh, Philippians chapter 3, where Paul, he says, look, everything that was gained to me, I counted lost for Christ, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and considered them dung. Why? that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. All right? Now, as an evangelical Christian, many, most, the vast majority of evangelical Christians is like, okay, he's, he, he just, his, all his own righteousness was his, was his filthy rags. He's taking his stand on... Uh, being found not having any righteousness of, of his own, but that which is through faith in Christ, that the righteousness which is from God by faith. Okay, now he is, um, 
he he has uh, essentially arrived at I, I mean you can't get any more saved than that a latter-day saint wouldn't say that a latter-day saint would say okay paul by doing that he has put his feet on the covenant path he has entered through the narrow gate put his feet on the narrow way that leads to the fullness of eternal life but he hasn't gotten there and apparently paul saw it that way too because then he says he says look uh you know he, he says i want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to the pattern of his death if by any means i might what attain to the resurrection of the dead not that i've already attained or am already perfected but i press on if that i might apprehend that for which i have been apprehended of christ jesus as many of us as would be mature or then he says, forgetting what this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forth to what lies ahead, I press towards the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As many of us as would be mature must have this mind. And then he goes on to say, but many walk, as I have told you before and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. So you, you can see, the, the Latter-day Saints are all about, by grace through faith in the atonement, uh, taking their stand that their righteousness is by grace through faith in what Christ did. But that's the beginning of this long process that Paul specifically outlines that just started with that. So, and, and, so you uh, say, David, and if you'll allow us to, to take the point to, not, not a new good. point to us, um, it's a Roman Catholic point, so it's not even just a pure um, Mormon point here. Roman Catholics also hold that justification, meaning the making justified before God, and sanctification, being made holy before God, are the same thing, that they come as a process, the progressive um, salvationists, if you will. And, and we would refute that idea and point right back to 1 John, which you've already quoted. Because First John, he, he writes, Little children, I write to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. Do you think that John means that you will have eternal life? Because he says it in the present tense. You have eternal life right now. In what way do you think we have eternal life right now? Well, eternal life, in, in a sense, is becoming to share in the divine nature, like, like Peter outlines in, uh, what is it, Second Peter chapter 1, around verse 5, he, he says that, that we receive these great and precious promises through which we become sharers in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. There's a very real sense in which eternal life starts now. I mean... And how so? Eternal life is not, is not just... Um, it's not just a life that doesn't end. It's it's a life of equality. It's it's essentially our share in the life of God Himself. That's a what eternal amen. life yeah. is. It's not only a never-ending yeah. life, but it's the good life, right? So, how do we have eternal life now if we are also progressing to eventually getting eternal life? How do you square those two things? Well, it, just just as as uh, I mean, I, I guess I would come back at you like Christ often did. You know, people would ask him questions, and uh -huh. he'd ask, answer it with a question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, what what resurrection was Paul trying to attain to that he hadn't attained to 
by by um, by him. Yeah, great, great yeah. question because I think it, it speaks exactly to our answer. We say that right. you can know you have eternal life right now because you have been born again of the Spirit. So our spirits will not get resurrected again. We have been resurrected in this life, and therefore our spirits already have eternal life. They will live on forever to never die. The body has not been resurrected yet. So the body still yeah. has sin. And that is how we can say that we have eternal life and have no sin. We've been we've been been made clean in Christ, except that our bodies, which are still ours, um, sin. They continue to sin. And so we fight against the flesh, as Paul talks about often, right? Fighting against the flesh. So when this flesh dies, when our bodies die, which we're all bound to do, um, then we will be bodily resurrected and, and be made perfected, right? Because not only will our spirits have eternal life, but now we'll have eternal bodies, as also Paul talks about a lot in Thessalonians and Corinthians and, and elsewhere. And so we would say that the the path to sanctification is progressive here on earth, but it's not a salvation issue. You are You are either justified or unjustified before God because when you die, you'll be separated from your sinful body, and then it's only your spirit that gets judged. And the Lord will judge your spirit, and your spirit can only be one thing. It can either be righteous or unrighteous. There's no in-between. See, that's that's a, a huge difference, which I'm sure you're well aware it's a huge mm-hmm. difference. I am. We don't think that... Um, we don't think that God... We think we think God is the most just judge, judge that has ever existed. Amen. And we, we don't think that... Uh, all human beings it, it's as if as if you had a human judge like this happened um, this happened in the United States and might still be going on at some point there was a, a big law and order push about 20 30 years ago and they pl- passed in a number of different straight states these three strikes and your outlaws mm-hmm. where yeah, if somebody right. committed a third felony that they'd automatically like go to prison like for 40 years or whatever mm-hmm. And a lot of judges were really frustrated by that because human circumstances are tremendously complex sometimes. And at times it was it resulted in situations where they were forced to sentence people in ways that were extraordinarily unjust. I just say all this just to say the idea that there's only one degree of glory that there's an eternal life. That I never just... said there's only one degree of glory. Oh, okay, good, good. So, so eternal life, uh, the degree of eternal life or glory that a person has can vary tremendously. I, I disagree. On... Eternal life has a, has a a fulfillment ending, and you either have eternal life or don't. There's not gradients of eternal life. Okay, well. We we think we think Latter Day Saints believe that uh, every human being, like like it says it in I think it's in First Corinthians fifteen twenty two, as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. All human beings are going to be resurrected, and they are going to be reunited. Their spirits going to be reunited with their physical body, with an immortal physical body that will never die. And that's that's exclusively based on the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, Just as in Adam, it, yeah. all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And and we have talked to Christian universalists who make that their whole pitch. So I mean, if anybody wants to see our videos on that, absolutely, we've got third parties vouching for that idea. But I'll say it's a really odd reading of that verse to say that all will be made alive in Christ, meaning literally every man, um, when 
there are many scriptures, much more than that, that clearly say that some men will be partitioned out for loss, for, for eternal suffering. Um, whatever your definition. Oh, of I didn't is. say I didn't say that all the, all these people that that are reunited with their physical body are are um, going to be with Heavenly Father and with His Son in glory. It's just it's it's pretty clear, and you can see this. And of course, we're digressing from the atonement, but to us, the the atonement makes available the possibility. the The whole goal of the atonement is that our Father wants. Like it says, I think in Hebrews two that it, that uh, it pleased him by whom are all things and for whom all things in bringing many sons to glory, mm-hmm. to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, or as it says in Romans eight, it talks about how um, it talks about how that the purpose is is that Christ would be the firstborn of many brethren, and and uh, that those manifested sons of God, that through them, all of creation that's groaning in bondage to corruption would be brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. So it's like, it's like, you know, the, the reality is it says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's like there's, there's, and, and as Paul described being caught up to the third heaven, that there's degrees of glory that, that uh, that people are going to attain to based on the extent to which they have grabbed a hold of what they've been grabbed a hold of for by right. grace through faith. That's that's right. nowhere in the text about the sun, moon, and stars glory, but go ahead. I, I, I think what you, you don't, um, you're, not, you're not addressing from our argument, David, is that if there are different degrees of glory, which I, there there are different degrees of glory, I think there are clear scriptures about um, certain jewels are being attained right in life via righteousness, um, that would not split you from the presence in God. Because to say that the heavenly Father is only with the top tier of of Christians uh, come come the end of days is to say that they weren't fully atoned. That he he is actually um, too holy to be in the presence of those who are lesser atoned. And we believe the atonement is full. There's no partial atonements. There's no semi-atonements that only get you to the second level of heaven. There's only heaven or hell. So do you think you think that people's character is, is going to automatically change when they die? That I do, if they, because if your, they character, your character they is split. Holy, your character is to... both your flesh and your spirit. And so when you're separated from your sinful flesh, you will no longer have your sinful character. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. Where do you see that in the scripture? And so Paul says, he says he, he's yearning for the day where he is split from the flesh and that while he's here, it's good that he's here. Um, but when he's with Christ, it's better to be with Christ. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that's true. I think that, um, what do you think Christ yeah. means on the Sermon on the Mount then? Pretty, pretty basic Christian teaching, right? Where he says, um, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And then he, he, he redoubles it and has a totally different analogy, but the exact same meaning about storeroom, saying a good person pulls yeah. good things out of his storeroom um, of his heart, and the bad person pulls bad things, and that you don't mix the two. So how do you think that we, uh, ostensibly as redeemed righteous people, continue to do sin if we don't have two natures, a fleshly one and a sinful Well, we, we, have to, we have to follow on and do what he then commands. He says, make the tree good, and it's fruit good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. That, that's a translational and, issue, David. He actually means to say, like, 
show me the good tree and its fruit will be good. Show me the bad tree and its fruit will be bad. He's not talking about making yourself a good tree. You either are or you are not. Well, that that's, you know, this is this is a, a bit of a problem. It's like, you know, you bring up a scripture and, and if you don't like what it says, you just say that it's a bad translation. Well, I will find you the many, many translations that don't say make. And plus, it's just a Greek thing, right? I don't think you or I are some Greek scholars. Um, but the command, of course, is to repent and believe. So we all should become good trees. But tell me, David, you sin, I sin. How can we rightfully say that we are good trees if we produce bad fruit? Well, there's a there's a process of um, becoming holy that we're supposed to embark upon, of becoming fully consecrated. And, uh, you know, people differ tremendously on their willingness to devote themselves to the task of, you know, daily putting off their flesh by the atonement of Christ, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, putting mm -hmm. off the old man. Like it says in Romans, I mean, I'll give you an example. In Romans chapter 6, it talks about how, and this brings us back to the atonement. It's being, being joined. Uh, what's it say? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Mm -hmm. Don't you know that as many of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Of course, this, this begs the question is how can you think baptism isn't like part of the process? But have been baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And then he goes on, he says, if we've been joined together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And a few verses later, he comes to the conclusion, therefore reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and then he says, on that basis, we're to present ourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and not present our, the members of our body as servants of sin. And, and then he gets to the end, blameless, as, therefore right? having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, the fruit of this is holiness, and the end result is everlasting life. For uh -huh. the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So th this is this is a process of of uh, actually actually using by grace through faith. Uh, developing a character where we consistently present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness unto God. And like he specifically says, he says, you know, having been set free from sin by grace through faith and having become slaves of God by grace through faith, the fruit of this is holiness and the end result is everlasting life. Uh, so this, this, is, this is what Latter-day Saints would call the covenant path that we're walking on and i would and, love uh, to see evidence of the covenant path from the new testament because jesus says in many a times find, find me the mixed find me the man on the covenant what, path what do you think the, the narrow way that leads to life is it's the way why, why isn't it just why it isn't why it isn't it just the doorway into the holy city you know he says the way that the way the path that leads to life is very narrow and few there be that find it it's like where is this? Why does he call call it a, a narrow way that leads to life? Likewise, why does he say if you find it instead of if you make it to the end? I mean, you, you push too hard on this analogy. But I say the same thing. If it is reality that there are mixed people, there are people who are good, but also bad. 
Um, why doesn't the Lord describe some trees as yielding both good and bad fruit and that they must choose the way of life or something like that? Nowhere does he say that, not in any of his analogies, does he say that there's a mix, um, which to me tells us that when we are separated from our flesh, we are pure, we're undefiled, we're, we're blameless before the Lord because our spirits have been made why, blameless. If that's true, why why would it say in First John, it says... Um, it says specifically, it says that when we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him he, as he is. Anyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Uh, you, you know, if it's impossible to purify yourself, what's the point? Why don't we just all wait until in a twinkling of an eye, we see him and then we've left our, our filthy flesh behind and now we're just like him. Well, uh, what is you, what is Paul? What is why is Paul pressing towards the mark of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? What is that but a path? Well, now you see. Why I mean, Paul what is it in, in Ephesians chapter two? It says, "By grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves; it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast." For what we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should yeah. walk in them. Amen. Okay. That's a path. That's but, a path, my friend. But but that verse is you why we do the path. good works, right? That that you, verse is why we do the works path. because we were created for them, not because it attains righteousness for us. Well, he who, as John says, he who does what is righteous is righteous. It's it's like in walking in the works prepared beforehand, our character becomes more and more like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, why why would you imagine the, the whole point? Why does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, see, this, this is supposed to be the fruit of the atonement for those that give themselves by grace through faith to this goal. It, it says that we might what? Attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is that possible? Or is that just a fantasy? Of course, it's possible, but it's only going to happen when when he's when uh, when you leave the body. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, you are still okay. attaining more and more righteous. I mean, you're putting to death the flesh, putting off the old man. All the verses that you're talking about. So you about. can you can grow in character. It's of okay. Course. It's okay to grow in character and become more and more like Jesus. Yes, in this life, that's sanctification. Good. Uh -huh. That's good. But, yeah, that's, but don't that's mix basically it. what what Latter Day Saints but, are trying to do. But it's not. We, we it's believe, very close. But it's we not. We believe we can come. We believe that that as we walk on this covenant path of walking in the works prepared beforehand mm -hmm. for us to walk in, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus, or like it says in Romans chapter twelve, that uh, that in view of God's mercy, we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service, and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that while still in the body, we might actually be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for human beings. Yes. Is that possible? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we're not sinless good. perfectionists, but we would, so th this is where we're disagreeing. Yeah. I think we are totally agreeing that all Christians rightfully named should be aiming for towards sanctification, aiming towards becoming yeah. more like Christ. So it's Aim, not aiming towards becoming more like Jesus. Yes, exactly. Yeah, however, exactly. however, to quote Galatians, Anyone who thinks they are justified, the key word there being justified by the law, are alienated from Christ. They've fallen from grace. Paul is talking to the Judaizers in that case, but the same goes to anybody who thinks that, that sanctification and justification are mixed. 
So any, any group, Mormon or Catholic or anybody who mixes the atonement and says, not only are you justified by the grace and faith given by Christ alone, but you are also justified by the works that he's made you do, um, that's, that's false, depending on your definition of what justification means. I mean, when we both agree that justification means being brought into heaven, being, being exalted in heaven, um, if you believe you are exalted in heaven based on your good works, and that that's the differentiator between you and somebody who is not in your level of heaven, um, you are trusting in your works for righteousness, and therefore you are alienated from Christ. You are actually, on judgment day, you stand before Christ and you say, um, let, let you judge, Lord, judge me based on my works instead of on Christ's works. And if you are judged on your own works, you will be found wanting. Let me read a little bit more of this. He says, um, Latter-day Saint scripture, let's see, he says, the, the infinite atonement of Christ and of Christ only was possible because, first, he was the only sinless man ever to live on this earth and therefore was not subject to the spiritual death that comes as a result of sin. Second, he was the only begotten of the Father and therefore possessed the attributes, attributes of Godhood, which gave him power over physical death. And third, he was the only one sufficiently humble and willing to be foreordained to that service. The universal, infinite, and unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ are several. They include his ransom for Adam's original transgression, so that no member of the human family is held responsible for that sin. Another universal gift is the resurrection from the dead of every man, woman, and child who lives, has ever lived, or ever will live on the earth. Thus, the atonement is not only universal in the sense that it saves the entire human family from physical death, but it is also infinite in the sense that its impact and efficacy in making redemption possible for all reach back in one direction to the beginning of time and forward in the other direction throughout all eternity. In short, the atonement has universal, infinite, and unconditional consequences for all mankind throughout the duration of all eternity. Emphasizing these unconditional gifts arising out of Christ's atoning sacrifice, Latter-day Saints believe that other aspects of Christ's gift are conditional upon obedience and diligence in keeping God's commandments. For example, while members of the human family are freely and universally giving a reprieve from Adam's sin through no effort or action of their own, they are not freely and universally given a reprieve of their own sins unless they pledge faith in Christ, repent of those sins, are baptized in his name for the remission of their sins, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and confirmation into Christ's church, and press forward with the brightness of hope and faithful endurance for the remainder of life's journey. Of this personal challenge, Christ said, For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all, that they might not suffer if they would repent, but if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I, which suffering caused myself even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might, drink, might not drink the bitter cup. Furthermore, although the breaking of the bonds of mortal death by the resurrection of the body is a free and universal gift from Christ, a product of his victory over death in the grave, the kind or nature of the body or degree of glory of the body, as well as the time of one's resurrection, is affected very directly by the extent of one's faithfulness in this life. The Apostle Paul made clear, for example, that those most fully committed to Christ will rise first in the resurrection. 
Paul also speaks of different orders of resurrected bodies. The bodies of the highest orders or degrees of glory in the resurrection are promised to those who faithfully adhere to the principles and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will not only enjoy immortality, which is a universal gift to everyone, but also eternal lives in the celestial kingdom of glory. Latter-day Saints stressed that neither the unconditional nor the conditional blessings of the atonement would be available to mankind except through the grace and goodness of Christ. Obviously, the unconditional blessings of the atonement are unearned, but the conditional ones are also not fully merited. By living faithfully and keeping the commandments of God, one can receive additional privileges, but they are still given freely, not technically earned. They are always and ever a product of God's grace. Latter-day Saint scripture is emphatic in its declaration that, quote, there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Well, if anyone That's, has ears to hear, I think they see our differences there, David, and that is that we both agree that grace is necessary, but we do not agree on the extent of that grace. So the, the Mormon Church, the LDS Church, is saying that grace uh, is necessary, that none of these good gifts are given without grace, and we both agree on that. Um, but they say that, that the extent of Jesus' grace only goes as far as raising you from the dead. The final judgment is up to your good works. And I say, and the Bible would say, that if you are justified, if you're hoping to be justified, by your own good work. No, I, I, end, I, I don't think I, I think you're mis, uh, misrepresenting what I just read. I, I don't think that anybody thinks that. Uh, you, that you, our forgiveness is by anything other than we're forgiven. We're not forgiven by anything other than the grace of Christ. But just just being forgiven doesn't suit us. Uh, does not suit us for for being in the highest degree of heavenly glory. I also did not say that, but remember what the implications of your version of the highest of heaven, heavenly glory position is. Of course, it's not biblical. It's not found anywhere in the scriptures, uh, in the true scriptures. Um, do, you but, think, do you think there's three heavens? Why would Paul say he was caught up to the third heaven? Do what, what do you think heaven number two is, David? Don't know. That would be space, I mean, the, the, the universe, the, the, the classic the, the, Jewish understanding what, of that? heavens. It's a classic Jewish understanding of heavens. There's the first heaven is the sky, the second heaven is the space, the universe, and the third heaven is yeah. the spiritual realm. So he was caught up into the spiritual realm. That's all he means by that. Oh, okay. The only verse that Mormons point to is the sun, moon, and stars comment that he has in First Corinthians about the different degrees of glory, um, which I don't even think he's referring to believers, but put that aside. There are scriptures from Paul about um, different rewards in heaven for those who do much, right? Even Jesus' parable about the talents. The man who's given more talents on earth receives more talents in, in the next life. So, like, there you go. There's so you different think, degrees. You think that um, someone who— I, I'm just curious. This is this is a bit of a digression, but sure. For example, like people that have never heard the gospel, are those people all going to hell? Uh, how would they go to heaven? Well, I, I just asked. So, so you think anybody, like say American Indians in 1200 AD, mm -hmm. um, they're all going to be tortured for all eternity by the God that created them? I would be like Jesus and quote Moses and What's wait, that? no, Abraham, sorry. Uh, Abraham, when he, was it he the one that said, will not the God of heaven do what is right? right. And I would leave it at that. Yeah. Because God I, I tells think, us what I don't to think do. Michael would. I think Michael's quite sure that they couldn't go to heaven uh, because 
they couldn't believe in Jesus because they never heard about him. Well, do they reject God? Find me the righteous Indian. Find me the righteous Irishman before Christ. You know, find me the righteous anybody. It's not a, it's not an ethnic yeah. thing, right? It's like anybody who has not heard of the message of Jesus Christ rejects Christ by their very nature, right? That's the fallen state of man. Yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, as as I'm sure you already know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I just love, I absolutely love. The God that I believe in is very different, it seems, Michael, than the God that you believe in, the se in the sense that, uh, you know, we believe as Latter-day Saints that the atonement actually has the power to go back into the past and redeem all human beings. And that uh, I, I also believe Christ's atonement goes into the past. Like we both agree that Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Well, I would have thought it was oh, pretty reformed position. But you, David, are you talking about like baptism for the dead and preaching to the dead and such? Yeah, like like Christ well, Christ went and preached the gospel to the spirits who were right. In could I could I ask you about a few Book of Mormon verses to see how you interpret them regarding that? I guess let me let me finish my train of thought here. I, okay. I lost. Just want to say this one thing. It's like I love. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father's being and heart. And when the Lord Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, and He looks down, and I don't think He was just looking at those people that were surrounding Him at the cross there. I think he was essentially looking at the whole human family because it was the sins of the, the entire human family that had put him up there. And he stretches, he, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, that's, that's the heart of God. And you can see that at the end of Job, when, uh, at the end of the book of Jonah, when, when Jonah, of course, wants the Ninevites wiped out. Mm -hmm. He's fed up with the Ninevites and doesn't want to preach to them because he knows they'll repent and then God will forgive them that, you know, and he doesn't want to see them to be forgiven. But our, our father, I love what our father says to Jonah. He says, look, shouldn't I have mercy on this great city in which there's 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left besides much cattle? <laughs> you know, yes. it's like Heavenly Father's inclination to have mercy. But, um, but remember, David, if you make Nineveh the rule and not the exception, you diminish the glory of God in that moment. Like the Lord decided to have mercy on Nineveh, not on every nation of the earth. And, and through Christ, he is having mercy on all the nations of the earth. But that doesn't mean every person. And when you diminish the specialness of the gospel, you diminish its power too. The Lord judges. And the very same Jesus who said, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they do, is asking, first of all, for forgiveness for his actual crucifixion, not for everything they've done. And secondly, that very same Lord said that there will be those on the last day that come to him saying, Lord, Lord, yeah, haven't we yeah. done so many miracles in your name? And then he says, I never knew you. And he, and he casts them out. Right? These are men who supposedly love him. They do things yeah. in his name, but aren't his. And, and a, lot of them, a lot of them, some of them might be Latter-day Saints. Some of them might be Calvinists. You know that that so called that, uh, yeah that think that they're all set, uh, but I think it's it's really clear that uh, heavenly Father. I, I think it says in Ezekiel eighteen, if I'm not mistaken, it talks. But he says, "I don't take any delight in the death of the wicked. I I wish they'd turn from their sin and be saved." 
this is our father's heart. I mean, I love what he says. I can't remember where it is, where he says, look, um, he, he says, you know, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's our father's heart. Is it? And so I think it's quite that doesn't mean that everybody is going to repent. It's very presumptuous to presume the father's heart because the father destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Well, they, uh, the Bible says that's his heart. Okay, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all you should come you to read when he says that God is not willing that any should perish as any person ever. I read it as that any of his elect should perish, especially okay. in context. So I, I I know you you believe in limited atonement and that Christ only died for the elect, which is beyond. I'm sorry, it's just beyond absurd to me, but that's okay. Good for you. But <laughs> in my own view, uh, I think the reality is is that our Father loves to forgive. He sure does. You look at creation and you can see that Father's creativity, our Father's creativity is absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, one of the things I absolutely love about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, is that they believe, and I believe wholeheartedly, that our Father... Uh, loves to find way more ways than you can think of, Michael, for people to have the opportunity to repent and and find life and be uh, shown mercy through the incredible power and glory of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to Dude. quote C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says at one point, he says, uh, look, he says, we know nobody can be saved except through Christ, but that doesn't mean that only those who, you know, act, ask Jesus into their heart or, or actually hear. See, the, so, so we know that Christ went and preached the gospel to the spirits who were in prison. We know that human beings, just because they leave the body, it, it, they don't lose moral agency. They still exist. They're in what Peter called spirit prison. Uh, you can call it hell. You can a, call a it full Sheol, misunderstanding Sheol. of spirit prison, but continue. It's essentially a holding tank where people await the judgment. And there, there's people that are in there for thousands of years for crying out loud, awaiting the judgment. Says, you can call it... For, for, where are we for getting this information? People, for some people... Uh, Abraham's bosom, you know, like Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. Uh -huh. you, you don't, you think like, like hell in the end, death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. Hell is not the place of final judgment. And the death lake and, of death fire and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. It's another King James translation. Hades, hell, ha Sheol, Hades and hell are not the, the same though. Hell is Gehenna, Hades is Sheol. But when people, when people die, they, they're not judged upon death. And they have the opportunity. They still have the opportunity to hear the gospel and repent. And multitudes of people are going to be resurrected, and they're going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel for the whole thousand years of the millennium. But I our, our Father loves to give people. Uh, it, you know, it, to me, it was just laughable. I mean, I listened to this uh, anti-Mormon tape where uh, one of these fellows was debunking uh, baptisms for our departed ancestors on the basis of half of one verse i think it was in hebrews half of 927 is appointed unto men once to die and after that comes the judgment completely ignoring all the verses that are right there 
in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 not in and Hebrews. in 1, 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4 about the gospel being preached to the dead, to the spirits that are in prison. I think and, you um, thoroughly misunderstand those. I understand okay. it's an LDS position, but go ahead. Let me you cut in here. To say. <laughs> I want to yeah. bring some Book of Mormon verses because we've okay, said go ahead. Bible verses. But So in Mosiah 2, 38 to 39, um, it says if basically if you dieth an, an enemy to God, then mercy hath no claim and his final doom is never-ending torment. So that makes it seem like you die um, and then you're judged based on the state that you die in but then uh just two more uh alma 20 verse 17 mm -hmm. you die in thine anger your soul could not be saved and then alma 34 32 to 35 this life is the time for men to prepare to meet god that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time that ye go out of this life that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world if ye have procrastinated the day of your repentance, even until death, uh, ye have become subjected to the spirit of the devil, and he doth seal you his. That's a that's very good questions. Very good questions. Well, I think you the, see where uh, we're concerned, David, because it used to be a Mormon position. There were many going to spirit prison, a.k.a. hell, right? Just another word for hell. And it seems to me that the current Mormon position that you're espousing, too, is that we're all happy-go-lucky, and basically nobody goes to spirit prison. Maybe save Judas or Hitler, and even them. No, um, it, it, actually, the, 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 uh, that, that isn't the current Mormon position, Latter-day Saint position. The, the Latter-day Saint position is that people are going to be judged like what Christ says, and this this is one of the reasons why I believe firmly that there's a wide variety of judgment. It's there's not just two possibilities: eternal torment in the lake of fire. It's like if a judge only had two options. Oh, he believed in Jesus. He's off scot free. He's he's in heaven for all eternity with me. That's great. Or he's going to be tortured forever in the lake of fire. That's just absurd. That there's only those two possibilities. What makes okay? it absurd? What makes it absurd is yeah. that it's impossible. Given the incredible varieties of human beings and their responses and what they've been through, the decks they've been dealt, their opportunities to hear the gospel, their opportunities to respond, uh, their understanding of God, uh, it's really clear when Christ says, he says, look, he who knows his master's will and doesn't do it will be punished severely. He who doesn't know his master's will and doesn't do it will be punished lightly. Mm -hmm. For to whom much is given, much will be expected. God is just, and he is going to judge people according to the deck they've been dealt and the light they've been given and no what doubt. they have done with the light that they've been given. Yeah, no and, doubt. and it's impossible to judge with that kind of nuance and justice if you only have two options but that, that's and, where you're wrong david that's like saying a judge well, is only has two I'm, options either to quit you say i'm wrong but i think i think your calvinism well is, i i think what michael we do. Would, i think what michael would accept is that or could accept i do accept. is that there's heaven and hell yeah. but then in heaven there are better rewards there are lesser rewards there are more noble or honorable rewards there are more common rewards mm -hmm. um just like vessel for honorable use, vessel for common use or something like that. Sure. But then also in hell, 
there might be different severities of punishment. Right. Like maybe you're just going to be in darkness with a, a little candle as your fire or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Where, that's interesting. I've, that, like, that's quite fascinating. I've never heard get, such a thing. I mean, from, to me, I mean, it isn't hell because hell is thrown into the lake of fire. The place of final torment of the wicked but hell, is the lake hell of fire. Not. The second death was, is hell if we're talking about the same thing. Like, if, if you're just talking about Hades, I mean, we both agree that Hades is a temporary place. Well, it, it does say in the book of Revelation that death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. But but that they, word they in Greek, exist. but what's the word for hell in Greek? Don't know. In the original language is just Hades. Gehenna is the word for hell, like the, the fire, right? The burning fire. Even Muslims yeah. still use Gehenna. So in, in the last chapter of Revelation, it says that Hades and death are thrown into the lake of fire. So that's... So we're getting that. In in any case, I think that uh, Latter Day Saints, we don't believe that anybody's going to end up in the lake of fire except people who truly know their Master's will and know their Master. They they come to a deep and real understanding of the character of God and of His Son Jesus, and. Um, essentially understand the, the the true character and love and mercy of God and then willingly choose to turn away from that and follow the devil with their eyes wide open, okay, knowing what they're doing. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty small category of people. I have not found a more missionary a who will tell me that I'm going to hell. I think most of the people, <laughs> most, I'm of pretty the adamant. people that would, most of the people that would do that um, – uh, a very significant percentage of those people would be people that actually live under the direct rule of the Lord Jesus Christ through the millennial reign. And that then when Satan's released at the end of the millennium, mm -hmm. they willingly choose to betray Christ and turn on Christ and try to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ and Jerusalem so, so at Armageddon. So it's your opinion that the vast majority of spirit prison is made up of people from the very last days well i, I would say that that's it, it, that would be a significant percentage i i'm not i'm not uh, as i as i told you i'm very untrained sure. i don't know much okay so i'm not going to try and give you any definitive answer but basically we don't we don't think that god is going to uh throw people into a place of eternal torment uh who don't deserve it Okay. I also and, agree that he will not throw yeah. anybody into hell that does not deserve it. Yeah, he's not going to throw anybody there that doesn't deserve it. And according to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Most, If people don't know what they're doing, if they don't know their right hand from their left, like the Ninevites, or if the, all the people that the Lord Jesus was speaking about from the cross, mm -hmm. if people don't know what they're doing, People are held responsible for the one of the definition of sins is what to him who knows the good to do and doesn't do it for him. It's sin. It's like to the extent people have a clear understanding of what they're doing to that extent, they're going to be held accountable. 
Well, remember, we, I, I have the exact same principle as you because it's straight from Jesus' mouth like you quoted too in that the, the one who knows master's will and doesn't do it is punished more severely than, they, than him who didn't know the master's will but still didn't do it, right? But no, both are punished. So I would hold that both go to Gehenna, both go to hell, yeah. uh, but to different degrees of punishment. And you would say yeah. that somehow the we light would punishment say that and the, the servant the, the is actually The greatest punishment for, for a lot of people, their punishment, like the thing that you said, uh, Theodore, about, well, maybe they'll just have a little candle or... You know, we believe, the Latter-day Saints believe that that there's degrees of heavenly glory and some of those degrees of glory. Basically, those people, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to enjoy the presence of, the direct presence of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In but, the, but David, in that, the, that speaks exactly to why we're talking about the atonement here and why I think it's like so central to our arguments. If If you have people who did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ and have some tiny version of heaven, that means they were partially atoned. And there is no partial atonement. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. Okay. Well, we just differ. Well, I, I would extol you to find in Scripture where there are partially atoned people. You know, the Lord Jesus does speak in absolutes on that front. And I agree that the Lord is nuanced in many ways, right? Like his law that he gives in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy is perfect and true and he fulfills it. Uh, and it has many nuances, right? You only um, punish up to, if somebody takes out your eye, you don't kill their whole family. You just punish up to the cost of an eye. And if somebody takes out your tooth, you only punish up to the tooth. Like there's, there's total nuance in the way that God writes the law for men. So all the more he's more righteous than us. Um, however, a transgression well, against that, didn't the holy that, God. Didn't that, change to, didn't that change to love your enemies? It never changed. That was it. Was always love your enemies. No, I mean you don't put out your enemy's eye if they poke out your eye. You forgive them. Uh, I I think you also misunderstand Jesus on that one. You pray for your enemies, and of course you forgive your enemies um, from your heart. But justice is still carried out. I mean, so they poke out your eye, and you poke their eye out. Um, a murderer kills somebody, the state is in the right to have that person put to death. Yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah. So in, in the exact same way, if somebody gives you punitive damages, you're about, in the right. I'm not talking about civil authority here. I'm talking about uh, personal response uh, to uh, to being wronged. Yeah, and, and so I would agree that you can forgive them from your heart, but it still doesn't mean you don't press charges. So in the same way, the Lord presses charges on the guilty. And so the only way you're not found guilty is if you hide in Jesus Christ. If you don't hide in Jesus Christ, you'll be found guilty. Do we do we agree? Well, I think I think that the the forgiveness Christ purchased for us uh, is going to be freely extended to people, and I think that the vast vast majority of people are going to receive it. Uh, if not in this life, they'll receive it in spirit prison or they'll receive it during the millennium and very few people are not going to avail themselves of the atonement i don't think our father gave his only begotten son uh, to suffer what he suffered to purchase forgiveness for all mankind without our heavenly father uh making use of ways that that you uh seem to be eager to discredit to, to extend the power of that mercy and the forgiveness that that sacrifice bought uh, and the opportunity for people to uh, avail themselves of that forgiveness 
in all kinds of ways that you don't admit to. I, I'm and under no illusions. I'm, that... I'm very glad. I'm very, very glad to be part of a of a community of faith that believes that the power of the atonement is actually going to uh, effectively, ultimately rescue at least, if not rescue them all the way to the highest realms of glory, at least rescue them from the lake of eternal, the lake of fire and brimstone, which is a place of eternal torment, that that's it. Our heavenly father is going to find ways to extend that mercy and the opportunity for people to avail themselves of that sacrifice in such a manner in, in many times and places and ways that's going to, uh, bring about as close as possible what's in our father's heart is that as as many people as possibly could would not perish but as many people as possibly could would come to repentance and that isn't something that uh, just has to take place uh, in the christian era especially in light of the fact that through most of christian history the witness of christianity has been essentially defunct if you look at the ways that uh would you disagree that christian christendom has been the light of the world since its inception that even in the so-called dark ages that europe was no, a greater I, territory than we, we, the rest we think of the world? we think that uh, the church apostatized and its light became darkness that's that's evident yeah it's, i mean but it's, it's, like christ, but it's actually like not throughout the history that the, said, the church has been a light he said, "Work while it is while it is light, because a night's coming when no man will be able to work." Once, and and this is something that you you might be able to agree with, but in the second century, when the church became so apostate already, toward the end of the second century, that they adopted the practice of infant baptism. That that's the very gateway of false Christianity. You you had people imagining that they were, uh, th they were Christianized, without needing to repent and be baptized it's it's like the, the the fundamental thing the promise the promise that was given through which men can become partakers of the divine nature is the promise that peter was inspired to give on the day of pentecost when those who saw that their sins had crucified their messiah they're like men and brothers what shall we do and and peter's response okay he wasn't like oh well you've seen the glory of the atonement you're all set Okay. No, he didn't say that. He said, okay, this is what you do. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise, what promise? The promise that if you see the glory of the atonement, and then you repent and are baptized for the remission of your sins, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, it's for your children. It's for as many as are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. That's everybody, okay? That's the promise it's, it's of the not, gospel. It's, it's a however many that, the Lord that will is call. The promise of the, that is the promise of the gospel. And, and that promise disappeared with the adoption of sprinkling eight-day-old babies. You're, you're telling you know that? me that the, the, the rock that Christ established disappeared from the earth? Doesn't it seem ironic that uh, you are debating against people baptizing those against their will when you baptize people against their will? 
And doesn't it seem ironic we don't baptize that, anybody. that we don't the closest baptize the church got to apostasy well, was against Arianism? And Arianism is the adopt uh, is the rejection of the Trinity, which is a which is a Mormon doctrine. We baptize people against. Their I, will. I think Michael's talking about like the proxy baptism, baptism for the dead it, kind of stuff. We don't baptize anybody when we do proxy baptism. We make we make baptism available to them if they choose to avail themselves of it. That's a complete misunderstanding. But that's also like a after death kind of thing, though, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess maybe so if, if somebody wants, if somebody if, wants to repent, they they have agency. Somebody's in spirit prison and they have moral agency. They can repent, but they can't be baptized because they don't have a body. So I'm baptized on their behalf, and it's there for them if they want to avail themselves of it. If they're like, and, if they want to tell, if they want to say, "Get away from me," I I like where I'm at. That's fine. And maybe another time we could chat more about the Mosiah 2, uh, 38 to 39, Alma 20, verse 17, Alma 34, 32 to 35, which... But that's, in, we could, but the, the, the whole thing is, is that the thing I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make here is that the idea that the church continued to exist as the kingdom of God on earth, once they adopted pedo-baptism and started torturing to death people that disagreed with their doctrine, it's beyond ludicrous. It's it's like oh, the, the devil's a murderer from the beginning. I mean, no, we know no murderer has eternal life. There's and bad if, if, what's there's that? bad people there's bad people everywhere and there's wolf in sheep's clothing and whatnot. But I mean to bring it back to Latter day Saints, yeah. um in regard to baptism, I could just point to the recent prophet in 2015 or 2016 who banned baptism uh for a lot of people for three and a half years and banned then he just what do you mean homosexuals right, he yeah homosexuals and their children or family members or something like that yeah. and he declared them apostates so that just seems like a big change or in uh kind of something similar to maybe Christians baptizing infants or something like that. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. That's that's not something I'm. You've you've joined on. the LDS Church, David, in a very interesting time because uh, there's a lot yeah. of movement in the the prophets these days. Yeah, I think they're wonderful. I mean, I I listen to the uh, conference what? talks constantly. After having listened to, after having been a preacher myself, and having listened to evangelical preachers of every imaginable description for my entire adult life uh, to say that the the Latter-day Saint teachers are a breath of fresh air is an extreme understatement. Um, to me, I mean, they're the, it's the best and purest doctrine and teaching I've ever heard in my life, and nothing else even comes close. So, you know, I guess you will, a lot you will of it, see that doctrine of, change should you live another 10 years, that? David. You will see the What's doctrine that? from the pulpit change if you live another 10 years. That's why I why, tell you. What do you think? How do you think it's going to change? Well, I'm just the, the statement Theodore just said that in 2016, the, the lead prophet um, declared any baptisms of homosexuals null and void and apostate. Um, he's just reversed that this year, which is why. Yeah, I think it was it. November 2015. And then he reversed it in spring of 2019. Oh, there you go. So that was three and a half years of a whole lot of fallout um, and, and sorrow, pain, yeah. suffering. Um, but then after three and a half years of that, 
he receives a revelation basically uh, reversing that and saying, okay, fine, you guys are not apostate anymore. Okay, you can baptize your children or family members. Yeah, so, I, I, I think I, I don't think you're accurately stating it. I think it's, uh, I think the 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 thing that you're talking about is is much more nuanced than that. Okay, but well, I, you'd have we, to you'd have to do some research on it, but uh, I don't think there's much dispute from the LDS Church, just for the record, David, as far as it being a reversal. Um, in fact, we've talked about we've talked to other Mormon missionaries now. They're they're young, little eighteen year olds. So um, take that yeah. with a grain of salt. But uh, they I think they would they're say talking that, about they're talking about uh, LDS. If if I'm understanding the same thing you're talking about, there's a thing where there were people that uh, had been raised LDS who had become part of this whole you know LBGTQIZ thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even keep up with that stuff, uh -huh. but uh, that had. Uh, they wanted their children baptized, right. and they they really were groping with how to uh, baptize these eight nine year old children in families that were being raised with values that were completely contrary to the covenant path. Yeah, how how can you steal kids that don't have a mother and a father, right? Like, how is that eternal marriage right. without a marriage? Exactly, and they, they were just wrestling with that to try to understand, and basically just groping to all, all this stuff for any any church these days. This kind of stuff is an absolute minefield, and it's not easy to sort your way through it. I agree. I mean, so it's why odd. why that would be why you would think that would be problematic i don't know but. well well because, doesn't it seem because odd of the, the change yeah the inspired because, because of the change it was a drastic change. so i know a lot of good protestant churches where they speak the same thing they don't speak one thing one year that another thing another year I, I maybe i've just always had great interactions with a lot of protestant churches yeah but I, I think I think they're uh, they're doing a really good job of navigating this stuff personally from to the extent I'm aware of it. I mean, well, I, I just think they're great. I know it's totally it's totally off subject and we really are at time. So we could talk yeah. about this all day, David, because there's so many things to talk about in Mormonism. Um, it's, it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. So it's I want to give true. you and Theodore, because Theodore's been patient with me <laughs> to kind of run on this whole thing from our side. I want to give you both a last word. Um, to wrap up. So I'm going to hand it to Theodore first, and then you can have final last word, David, if you're all right with that. You go You go ahead, Theodore. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, we didn't even talk about... <laughs> so I had like who, what, where, when, why, or whatever of the, the atonement. Um, basically the who, getting back to Jesus. Yeah, let's um, get back to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only Jesus can make atonement for us. Uh, Psalm 49, 7-8 declares, No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him for the redemption of his soul is costly and he should cease trying forever. And uh, obviously we know God alone can forgive sins and that uh, Jesus is God. Uh, see Isaiah nine verse six. Um, and then uh, yeah, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. Jesus is the lamb, the King of Kings. Um, he is the word of God and sacrifice himself for us because he is the only sufficient capable atoning sacrifice blameless lamb for us and we should be thankful for that um i guess i can stop there 
Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I agree with all that. And no. you, yeah, take take the Mike David. Well, if you even want to just plug yourself or whatever, I mean, you can end it however you'd like. No, I don't. I don't need to plug myself. I mean, I'd okay. rather plug the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, plug the Lord Jesus what, Christ. Then what he what he did is, um, he's the one. You know, he gave himself for from for our sins, that he might purify us from us us from every lawless deed and uh, purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works, zealous to do what's right. And um, uh, I mean, my testimony is is that. I really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that his church uh, is built on the foundation of living apostles and prophets. I believe that Joseph Smith truly was called to be uh, the prophet of the restoration of the church and the dispensation of the fullness of times. And that the the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the, the true church that is on that foundation it actually has living apostles and prophets and and this is this is for me the key thing when I first became an evangelical Christian at the age of 21 it was very exciting when I read uh, John chapter 1 verse 12 that as many as received Christ he gave the power to become sons of God but then if you read the Gospels throughout the Gospels in about four different five different places Christ says specifically what he says in Matthew, 1039 he says uh look speaking to the apostles he says who he receives you receives me and he who receives me receives him who sent me in in luke i think he, he says he who rejects you rejects me and he who rejects you rejects him who sent me so so really it's uh for me i'm just really thankful uh that i don't have to figure this stuff all out myself I, I'm thankful for the Word of God. I'm also very thankful for the Book of Mormon and the other standard works that have been given to the church in in modern times. And I'm extremely thankful that I actually have, uh, that I can receive the Lord Jesus Christ by receiving those that he sent. And uh, that I can just trust what they teach and walk on that covenant path of sanctification towards becoming more and more like Jesus. And Heavenly Father is going to give everyone uh, according to the works done in the body, whether they're good or bad. Like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It's like, uh, you know, it's not like we can earn our salvation, but certainly uh, we can attain to differing degrees of glory based on the the extent to which we grab a hold of with our whole heart, what we've been grabbed a hold of for. And uh, I'm very thankful to have finally found a place where I can uh, live all this out in truth. I didn't find that kind of a place or a true spiritual home in evangelical Christianity, in spite of trying with all my heart for 47 years. So I'm super thankful to have finally found uh, peace and life in Jesus Christ, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, I'm I'm really, really glad. And this is not intended as a dig. Maybe it is a dig, but it's not intended to be. I'm I got really thick skin, glad. David. I'm really glad I'm not a Calvinist. Yeah. Most are. That Most whole are. tulip thing, that whole limited atonement thing, and, you know, uh, total depravity of man. And it, 
all that stuff to me is just wild. I just don't even know how to relate to a lot of that stuff. I'll say I take great peace in knowing that God is sovereign over all things, bad and good. Um, yeah. But I thank you, David, for your time today. I Can I do one more verse? I your courage to come. Oh, what did you say? Uh, go ahead, sure. It's just a verse that sums up kind of what we're doing. Okay. Uh, Jude 1, verse 3. Right. Um, it's the small letter for before the faith Revel- once for all delivered to the saints. Right. Dear yeah. friends, although I've been eager to write to you about our common salvation, yeah. I now... Uh, now feel compelled instead to write to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Yeah, and it's so it's so fascinating. We both think we're doing that, right? It is. Well, yeah. we'll let the viewers decide. Uh, be Bereans and, and trust the scriptures, and thankfully LDS and uh, Protestant Christians both hold to the Bible. So, um, if one of them is inconsistent with the Bible, then their views are inconsistent with the Lord. So. Um, thank you there again, you David, for coming on. You've been very courageous to endure me and uh, and Theodore too. <laughs> oh, you you've been very you've very been very kind and uh, patient with me also. So appreciate it. All right. Well, until next thank time, you. guys. Thank you very All much, right. and God bless. Thank you. Have a great yep. day. Yeah, you too, David. <laughs>